COVID-19, oh, we need a vaccine at this moment. It means everything. Please wear your mask and stay six feet back. Total shutdown. COVID-19. From the reptile area at the Cleveland Zoo, it's two middle-aged men in Cleveland featuring wildlife expert, TV, and YouTube host, Coyote Peterson. And now, two three-toed sloths, Ted Klopp and Ken Dworkin. Into another week of December, Ken Dworznik along with the First team All-American dad, Ted Klopp. I'm not sure if you knew this or not, Ted. You were named Dad of the Month for the month of December in Cleveland. Oh. So congratulations oh. on that. Thank and you. And Ted, did you ever think that the highlight of your life would be something involving the Cleveland Browns? No, that didn't cross my mind. No. <laughs> Nine and Nine three. Nine and three, coming off a great Sunday and uh, – we're riding high right now, despite everything going on, riding high because of the Cleveland Browns. And uh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to very meaningful games here in the month of December. Excited. When was the last time you got to say that? I've never said that. <laughs> yeah, they looked pretty good in the first half. And a lot of people are like, oh, but they, oh, my goodness, they didn't look that. They, you know, what about the second half? Well, they took their foot off the gas pedal. Okay? Yeah, that's exactly you know. right. Hey, they won. We don't care how they won, they won. Well, Ken, uh, <clears throat> at my house this week, we had remote learning, which we don't have too often. Our kids have yeah. been in school, and uh, they had the first week back from Thanksgiving was remote learning. You know, I know many parents have dealt with this. We fortunately haven't had too much because our kids have been in face-to-face -face learning. But this week, they were home doing remote learning, which was much different than the setup when the shutdown occurred last year because the school had an opportunity to plan for it. So they would be in class from about 8 to 9.45 and then 10.15 to 11.30 and then an afternoon session as well. So I'd sat across from my oldest and my wife and our in-laws worked with the other two. And during the morning break, they like to play football on the Wii. And I want to set the scene for this. You know, everybody, you know, it's a three boys. It's a calm, serene atmosphere. My wife owns a company. She's trying to run it from home because we have remote learning. You know, it's calm and quiet. Now, you getting the picture here, Ken? Oh, yeah. This is not the picture at our house. So what I have done, you know that big, long microphone that we have? Yeah. Well, it didn't need to be that big and long to... Uh, be used this week. So what I did was I hooked it up while they were playing the Wii. So I want you to picture my wife, maybe 15 feet from what's what you're about to hear. She's trying to pay bills, invoicing, whatever. She's trying to run a business. And this is what is occurring. Yay! Let's go! One more! They got one yard! Wait, would we? Yeah, Oi! Yeah, yeah, yeah you! Oh, my job! Oh! Let's do the first, first down run! First down run! 
Wait, I did not see that. I did not see that coming. I didn't see which way. No! All hands on deck! All hands! Are you joking me? Let's go! Throw! Throw! Run! Run for it! No! I think you get a taste of that right there. Now, I'm not saying this is any better or any worse or any easier or any harder than what other parents have faced. I'm just giving you a little window into our daily life with our three boys. Two exciting gentlemen playing a video game. There is nothing yep. better than that. Yeah, I can't imagine your wife is getting much work done with that. Type <laughs> of thing. Let alone, hopefully, there's no... Uh, customer calls or anything like that because obviously oh, well, you're not going to hear much. That is we, have, we have trained them because we have a phone at home. We have trained them that if that phone rings, they quiet down very quickly. They're good with that, but it's entertaining. So I usually at that point, I go in the kitchen, I do the dishes, and I just listen to that and try not to let my wife see me laughing. <laughs> that is great. That's pretty much it because I, I'm wondering if we need to set up some cameras and stream this or something. Oh, my gosh. I can imagine. That is just outstanding. So that's what we had last week. But this week on the show, there is a connection between the Wizard of Oz and Cleveland. We're going to tell you what that is in This Week in Cleveland History. President Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, did more than speak at a hearing. We're going to explain in our misspeak of the week. We have a listener ready to share a where were you story. Do you know the difference between a PlayStation 5 and an air purifier? Well, one guy found out they don't have much in common. We'll explain in Klopp's Clips. Hey, we have a new segment, Ken. It's called Instructions That Should Be Painfully Obvious But Aren't. And we welcome wildlife expert and Northeast Ohio native Coyote Peterson. You might know him as the guy that deliberately gets stung and bitten by insects and animals uh, and puts the video on YouTube. Well, he is our guest on the show this week. Time for our misspeak of the week, and I'm not sure if this counts as a misspeak, but President Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, was speaking at a hearing in Michigan about alleged election fraud during the hearing. Giuliani was responding to a question and apparently used more than his voice. Listen. The answer that I gave you is they didn't bother to interview a single witness. Just like you, they don't want to know the truth. That sounds like flatulence for Mr. Giuliani. The answer that I gave you is they didn't bother to interview a single witness. The Michigan State rep that Giuliani was responding to later tweeted, quote, questioning Rudy Giuliani during an evidence-free hearing and startling him so much that he farted definitely wasn't on my 2020 bingo card. Well, it has been a rough time for Giuliani recently. He had a dark liquid drip from his head during a news conference last month, and another video from this event went viral. This one showed Giuliani using the same tissue to blow his nose and wipe his face. Of course, we do hope that he recovers well from his COVID diagnosis. That is the misspeak of the week. Have you heard about Anchor? I'm not talking about the one 
for a boat. This is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Cleveland! This is for you! Ted, another edition of This Week in Cleveland History. We're going to move to December 9th, 1902, as I usually do. Do you remember this time or no? Like it was yesterday. I figured as much. Actress Margaret Hamilton is born in Cleveland. She was best known for her role as the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. Growing up in Cleveland, she attended Hathaway Brown School and took to the theater at an early age. After college, she became a kindergarten teacher before getting into acting full-time. She made her screen debut in 1933, six years before Oz. Here is what Margaret Hamilton said about being cast as the Wicked Witch of the West. He said, uh, they're sort of interested in you uh, for a part in The Wizard of Oz. And I said, oh, gosh, think of that. I said, I love that story from the time I was four years old. What is it? And he said, well, the witch. And I said, the witch? And he said, then he said the final thing. He said, yes, what else? That's outstanding. She was not the studio's first choice to play the witch. Gail Snodergaard was cast, but declined after the decision was made that the witch should appear ugly. Margaret Hamilton suffered a second-degree burn on her face and a third-degree burn on her hand during a take of the fiery exit from Munchkinland. The trap door to drop through was delayed to eliminate seeing it on the film. Hamilton recuperated in a hospital at a home for six weeks after the accident. When she returned, she refused to do any more scenes involving fire. She didn't sue the studio for fear of not getting any more acting work. Her stunt double on the picture was also severely burned during filming of the Surrender Dorothy scene. How about Ooh. that? <laughs> I, I mean, the connections with, with Cleveland, with some of the most famous films and people and all that stuff, unbelievable. I had no idea that the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz, Margaret Hamilton was from Cleveland. I had no idea before I heard about this story. Nothing. Yeah, Nothing. I'm pretty sure that my mother took me to a performance by the Cleveland Orchestra when I was probably five, six, seven years old that Margaret Hamilton appeared at and talked about being the Wicked Witch. So that was pretty wow. neat. That is pretty um, neat. But uh, and, what an amazing film. I mean, it's, it's held the test of time. We talk about having kids. And when we were kids, I know we watched it. And I know our, my kids have seen it before. It's just one of those films that will can just continue on and on. And what a great connection with someone from Cleveland. Well, when we were young, I'm going to date myself. Maybe I think you're in this group too. 
VCRs were either not out or just very, very new. And yep. so you couldn't just pop in the movie and watch it whenever you wanted. And so, at least at our house, when The Wizard of Oz came on, it was usually a holiday, and that was an event. You sat down and watched it. Yep. That was a big deal. So. That's the old days of whenever, what's ever on TV, that's what we're going to watch. Unlike yep. now, where you basically <laughs> you can put on anything you want. Yep. I mean, if you want to watch it, you're watching it. But I remember sitting down with my brother and my sister and my parents and, and watching The Wizard of Oz time and time again. Wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. And some of the different things, the techniques that they used on that film that were so new for the time and some of the other problems they encountered and were able to fix, I think a lot of folks know. Buddy Ebsen from the Clampets was originally the Tin Man and then became yep. ill and Jack Haley was brought in. So just a lot of very interesting things. That's really a film that has a lot of behind-the-scenes stories that are, are quite fascinating. So, Oh, gosh, yes. And the lead actress in that, and I would say the top-name person in that, in that film would be Judy Garland. And uh, obviously many good stories about her, and she just does an amazing job as Dorothy. But uh, once again, uh, just another interesting tidbit as we find out about Margaret Hamilton, who was born in Cleveland, being the Wicked Witch of the West on another This Week in Cleveland History. Cleveland! This is for you! Blah, blah, blah. 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 Our guest today is a native of Northeast Ohio, attending Notre Dame Cathedral Latin and The Ohio State University. He is an Emmy-winning TV host on Animal Planet, a YouTube star, and a wildlife expert. His Brave Wilderness YouTube channel has more than 17 million subscribers. And he hosts several shows on the channel. His work has taken him to Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, and other places. And he has willingly been stung or bitten by a bullet ant, a giant hornet, an executioner wasp, and others. Can't wait to find out about that. Let's talk with Coyote Peterson. Appreciate that wonderful introduction, man. That's like a career resume right there all in one. That was well done. <laughs> well, here's the first and possibly most basic question. Where does the name Coyote come from? Coyote is a nickname I've had since I was about eight years old, and my mother gave it to me. And it's based off of the Warner Brothers cartoon, The Coyote and the Roadrunner. Uh, when I was younger, we used to vacation out in Arizona, and roadrunners are a very common bird species out there that feast primarily on lizards and snakes. So I would actually follow the roadrunners around, hoping that they would lead me to lizards so that I could scare the roadrunner off and then catch the lizard. And my mom used to sit there watching me do this, and she started calling me the coyote because, like the Warner Brothers cartoon, the coyote's always chasing the roadrunner. Eventually, we dropped the the. It just became coyote. It stuck, and here I am today. Obviously, the, the second question I imagine that you get a lot is, how did you get interested in wildlife? Really, it started when I was uh, about four years old. You know, growing up in northeastern Ohio, um, it's one of the safest places, honestly, on the planet to explore. No venomous animals existed in my backyard, at least none that could cause you any serious damage, like a rattlesnake or, you know, a scorpion or a black widow. And I would spend my childhood catching frogs and toads, 
turtles and snakes and eventually worked my way up to the common snapping turtle, which is arguably the most dangerous reptilian predator that we have in Ohio, um, aside from maybe some venomous timber rattlesnakes down south or copperheads. But where I grew up in Newberry, unless you go looking for a snapping turtle, of course, it's not dangerous in any way whatsoever. But for me as a young kid with a heart full of adventure, it was the most challenging thing to catch. And from there, my love of just the bizarre, the creepy, the crawly, the unknown just really sort of captivated my imagination and career kind of took off from there. So you've got an interest in wildlife. How do you come up with the idea to start the YouTube channel and come up with the concept that Brave Wilderness could be something that people would be interested in? Well, the YouTube channel actually came as a result of everybody telling us that an animal adventure show with a traditional host was no longer of interest to people and that it just didn't work anymore. Certainly, I was inspired by the Jack Hannas, the Jeff Corwins, the Marty Stauffers, the Steve Irwins, the Austin Stevens, everybody that came before me. I've watched every piece of content these guys have ever created, dating all the way back to Marlon Perkins and Jim Fowler with the original Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. But when Steve Irwin passed away, I think a lot of people looked at the idea of a human interacting with animals was just too dangerous. We lost one incredible wildlife presenter. We're not taking the risk on anybody else ever having interactions. And you know things like Planet Earth launched and these amazingly beautiful documentary series where we're admiring animals from a very long, very safe distance using high-powered cameras. We felt that this still had a place. And every network turned us down when we were originally pitching Brave Wilderness as a show. And then my business partner, Mark Vince, and I said, you know what, we're just going to do this on our own. And then it started growing. And before we knew it, here we are six years later with arguably the largest animal adventure brand in the world and definitely within the digital space. So Coyote, we have very young listeners that listen to our show because we try to be (laughs) very family friendly and all that, just like you are. We do have two questions coming up from some young listeners. Am I still getting stung by stuff? Well, technically, I've retired from the stings. There are definitely still some bites to come. But to be honest, we've started conceptualizing a new idea for next year that, you know, this I haven't expressed this or even said this to anybody yet. So this is the first time it's coming out anywhere publicly. We are considering doing a limited run of a backyard sting series, which is stings from things that are not bullet ants, tarantula hawks, and executioner wasps, but things like a bumblebee, a basic red paper wasp, or a ground hornet, things that you could actually run into in your backyard so that we can show you how painful those things really aren't. I mean, they are painful, but they're not nearly as like, ah, like mind boggling as a bullet ant, but also the right way to avoid those animals and to take care of that sting if you were stung. That's very good. I know we have another young child question. Hey, Kylie Peterson, what's the worst insect that you've been stung slash bitten by? Well, the worst sting is definitely the executioner wasp. And it's very important to note that stings and bites are two very different things. And while all insects that sting are capable of biting, the venom is coming from the stinger. So some of the bites that I've taken that are venomous bites are going to be way worse because the venom yield, which is the amount of venom that's injected into you is going to be higher than that of a sting. And the most painful bite that I've taken intentionally, most painful venomous bite is that of the giant desert centipede, which 
is one of the most excruciating pains I have ever gone through. It's important to note that we do a lot of research before I go through any of these seemingly crazy experiments. So there's a lot that happens on the back end, both in pre-production and after a sting or a bite takes place, where we always have medical personnel ready on standby in case something catastrophic were to happen. So where did the idea for finding these painful, dangerous things to bite or sting you and then shoot it and put it on YouTube, how did that did that come up? Good question. What I always say when I start off the answer to this question is that to be a good wildlife presenter, you usually have to be really good at not being bitten and stung. Because if you get bitten and stung all the time, inadvertently, you're not really that good at interacting with animals, are you? And the idea honestly originated from being quilled intentionally by a porcupine. We filmed with a porcupine in Montana the first year that we started producing content for the Brave Wilderness Channel. When the handlers brought it out of its little, like, carrying container because we brought it into a real natural setting to film. They started telling me about how the quills worked and the right way to remove quills from your dog or your cat, whatever your pet might be, that most people didn't know. And my producers and I are like scratching our heads saying to ourselves, this is way more interesting than me just like rambling off facts about the porcupine. What if I got quilled? Would you guys be cool with that? And they're like, knock yourselves out. If you want to get quilled, here's how to do it. We did it. I got quilled and the episode was just wildly popular. Sure. You talked about your YouTube channel, which obviously I've had the opportunity to check out. Talk to the listeners. What are the, some of the other things that you do on your YouTube channel? Certainly the bite and sting content seems to be the most popular and everybody loves to talk about that, but it really only makes up about 2% of the content that we produce. Most of the content is really heavily focused in on introducing you to an animal. And then if there's a bigger conservation message that we can tie to that specific animal, we cleverly work that in as a thematic. There's a handful of episodes where like, I'll try weird, exotic, gross foods, where I have a really squeamish stomach. So for some reason, people think it's hilarious when I puke on camera. So we've got some <laughs> weird content like that. Um, but the Brain Bullers channel is honestly just a big mix of me and my friends slash my production crew going out, having fun, exploring remote environments, and getting up close with animals that we've always been fascinated with. You know, I've always said the key to success are stings, bites, and pukes, and you've obviously <laughs> capitalized on that. Okay. Now, my research is that you now have shows on Discovery Channel. Yeah, we've got a show on there called Brave the Wild. In 2019, we produced 18 awesome pieces of content that were the biggest stories we've told yet, you know, we had a phenomenal budget, like the work that we did with the cinematography, the locations we got to visit, probably the most top-notch content we've created to this point. And I think Discovery is actually getting ready to launch its internal streaming service. So I'm sure that the show will be up on that as well. Well, one of the big questions that my kids wanted to make sure I asked you, do you have any pets at home? I do. I have a dog. Uh, her name is Charlie. We also have a sulcata tortoise and two baby common snapping turtles. Oh, very cool. Now, we like to round out our interviews. We, you know, we're two middle-aged men in Cleveland. So while I wouldn't certainly suggest that you're middle-aged, I know you mentioned before we got started here, you do have a daughter. So your line of work, deliberately getting stung, bitten, things like that, is she concerned about that? Having a 12-year-old daughter, I'd say she thinks I'm more crazy than she is ever necessarily ever worried about me. <laughs> now, being a 12-year-old, are you at the stage where you're a cool dad because you're 
famous or are you a dad that we don't want to admit that we have a cool dad who's famous? Where are you in that part of being a dad? As much as I would like to say, I feel like I'm a cool dad. I think at 12 years old, it's definitely like, dad, please do not wear any Brave Wilderness attire or merchandise <laughs> if you're out in public. I certainly can't wear a cowboy hat if I go out in public anywhere because I'll get recognized and she hates that. But if I show up to any of like her school events or sporting games, she picks out my outfits to be like, you need to look like you do not belong in the wild or in anything that people are going to recognize you because the whole like YouTube celebrity aspect of things is so prevalent, especially in a younger generation that I know for her, probably the worst case scenario in life would be a sporting event that she's playing in where like somebody on another team or somebody in the audience recognizes me and wants to take pictures or get autographs. That would be the worst case scenario for her. Excellent. Well, it's interesting to hear what different dads go through, and we always like to talk about that here on the show. Now, before we let you go, can we uh, get you to stick around and uh, play a little game time with us? Absolutely. Let's play. Ted Klopp here for Westminster AV. You've heard me talk about their top-notch rental services, but don't take my word for it. Here are some Google reviews. The Ohio Society of Association Executives says... Not only do they meet every need we have, they anticipate additional services and requests that we have had and are always prepared. The Westside Catholic Center says the elements they added to our event enhanced every aspect of the evening. Very easy to work with, incredibly knowledgeable, and made adjustments on the fly. Whether you are planning a virtual or an in-person event, Westminster AV should be your first call for dependable, professional, audiovisual equipment rentals. Call today, 216-325-6960. Again, the number, 216-325-6960. The most trusted name in journalism, Klopp's Clips. Ken, I hope you're ready. It's time for the news you probably don't know, but probably should. Klopp's clip starts with an Australian family that left the back door of their home open while they were away in the morning so their dog could get in and out. Well, turns out the dog wasn't the only animal to come in. When the family arrived home, they found a koala bear in their Christmas tree. (laughs) A koala rescue group removed the koala. No problems. It was released outside. Merry Christmas, kids. We got you this koala. Just came in on its own. Do not touch the koala bear. Santa's really generous this year. Those koalas look friendly. They are not. Nope. A British man with a motor neuron disease broke a Guinness World Record. Jason Liversidge has only 5% body mobility because of the disease, but he teamed up with an engineer and an electric vehicle specialist to create an electric wheelchair designed for speed. He took it for a spin at an airfield and hit a speed of 66.8 miles an hour. Oh, my gosh. This earned him the record for fastest speed by an electric mobility vehicle. This is extremely cool, by the way. 
I can't think of a better thing for someone with a little bit of a disability to get into, but going 66 miles an hour, can you imagine that in a wheelchair? Holy cow, that's insane. I think you need a license for that thing. I think so. Well, an online listing for a dress has gotten a lot of attention and feedback, and most of it negative. A woman listed a red crochet-style dress that she says she purchased for her 18th birthday. Her listing says, quote, Selling my 18th birthday dress, worn once for a couple hours, would consider this a lucky dress as me and all my friends who have worn it have gotten... <clears throat> They got lucky in it, we'll say. We'll just oh, go that right. route. Yeah. Okay. And now, as if that isn't enough, the ad continues. Dry cleaned as I got sick in it. Friends not included. <laughs> I got sick in it. Outstanding. I got sick. Yeah, we didn't clean it because of anything else that happened. But once it got vomit on it, then, then we sent it to the cleaners. And the friends aren't included. Just right. the dress. <laughs> A man in Taiwan got quite the score when he landed the newest PlayStation 5. Unfortunately, he wound up having to sell it. Sell it because he fibbed about the purchase, telling his wife that the item was an air purifier. <laughs> <laughs> when she discovered it was not an air purifier, but instead was a PS5, she put the kibosh on the whole thing, and the item was sold through an online purchaser to a man who posted about the incident noting that he could see the pain on the husband's face when the transaction occurred. If you're going to come up with a lie, come up with something better. I mean, I, I, I imagine this, this lady is a little bit smarter knowing that that PS5, which it says it right on the top, is not an air purifier. Good call. Didn't work. Did you know that PS5s double as air purifiers? Huh? I did not. An I've not seen the marketing on that. Incredible. new. This is the newest feature for the PS5 what it is. I'll hook it up and I'll show you how it works. You're getting healthy as you play. Perfect. Yes, that's it. That is also this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. In a world where handwashing instructions must be spelled out and put above nearly every sink, come more instructions that should be painfully obvious but apparently aren't. Instructions for the door of a retail establishment. Pull. If that doesn't work, push. If that doesn't work, we're closed. These have been instructions that should be painfully obvious, but apparently aren't. We are back with the Emmy award-winning Coyote Peterson, and we're going to play, call, uh, play a game called Who Am I? Uh, it's a game in which uh, Coyote and Ted will compete on clues, and I will give a famous person, place, or thing from Cleveland. I'll give you five clues. Each of you will have the opportunity to guess. After the clues, I'll also have multiple choice. Here we go. Clue number one. This person was born in Cleveland and attended East Tech High School and also went to the same alma mater as Coyote Peterson, Ohio State University. Mm. That's clue number one. Okay. Clue number two. This person had the nickname Buckeye Bullet. Bruce and won Pratt? eight individual championships. 
I think I might have shot the government. I said Maurice Claret. I don't know if that's right. That is not correct. We can okay. continue. Okay. So this person had the nickname Buckeye Bullet and won eight individual championships while never receiving a scholarship at school. He was not a scholarship athlete. Okay, that's clue number two. Clue number three, while in college, this person set three world records and tied a fourth in the span of 45 minutes. Jesse this Owens. Was considered oh. one of the greatest achievements since 1850. Jesse, Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens is correct. Yes! That was good. Yeah, one of the most famous Ohio State, obviously, alums. Well, Coyote, you're getting up there, too, if you have 17 million people following your YouTube channel. I don't know if I'll get to – until they name an athletic center after me, I don't know that I'll fight Jesse Owens State. That's when you know you're doing pretty good. Maybe they'll have the uh, wilderness area at Ohio State named uh, the Coyote Peterson Wilderness Area. Hey, anything's possible. You never know. Hey, before we let you go, if folks want to keep up with you, obviously you're on YouTube, but tell us where, where, what are some of the suggested places? And I know you've done, written some books as well. So tell us about the books and where we can find those. Sure. I mean, following us anywhere on social media at Brave Wilderness or at Coyote Peterson is going to be your immediate gateway into the world of animals and adventure that we produce. Searching Brave Wilderness on YouTube is a great spot to find countless episodes of entertainment of us heading out into the wild and if you love books uh, we've got five books out right now the most recent one is called the beast of bites which chronicles my 10 most famous bites and that's available pretty much anywhere books are sold we appreciate your time and i think some folks are going to be sad to hear that you are retiring from getting stung simply for the the video content but i know there's a lot of other interesting things out there that you have that will certainly keep our attention as you show us the different aspects of uh, wildlife. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, certainly for a guy like you, I think we should say be safe, right? Well, I'll do my best. I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. And uh, I will make the note that while the stings might be done, there are plenty of bites still to come. And the content we've got lined up for the end of this year is pretty insane. So we got some good stuff coming. Where were you? Welcome to another segment. I know this is one of Ted Klopp's favorites. Where were you? And today we are joined by Mr. Ben Cavey, longtime Cleveland sports advocate, enjoys the Browns, the Indians, and the Cavs. He does enjoy Michigan football as well, the university. We're not going to talk about that today. What we're going to talk about is something that he experienced on November 14th 2019 with his son mm. on a Thursday night. Ben, you want to talk about that? That is, of course, the famous day that Miles Garrett got the better of Mason Rudolph <laughs> at uh, Cleveland Brown Stadium. It was actually my son's first Cleveland Browns game. We got some tickets from a nice lady online that her last question based upon pricing was, uh, if I was a Browns fan, there was a discount. If there was a Steelers fan, there was an upcharge. <laughs> so fortunate, fortunately, I, I was the Browns fan and uh, first row uh, in the upper, upper deck, great seats and play happened right in front of us. And it was, uh, for the lack of a better statement, I think in true Cleveland Browns frustration fashion that we have had for way too many years, there was probably too much pleasure in watching that happen than there was remorse. <laughs> 
especially after the game, leaving the stadium and the amount of chanting and the amount of harassment that ensued from the Steelers fans. And I would be a little remiss to say I didn't enjoy it too a little bit. (laughs) So when this happens, the fans in the stands are happy that he took his helmet off and used it as a weapon, or do they realize that this is a bigger deal than just a penalty? When you're at a game with 70,000 people on a Thursday night, I mean, there's a lot going on. I mean, there's everybody's fired up because we got to Rudolph. And I don't think everybody realized the magnitude of what happened until they started to see the replays. And since it happened at that point in the game, it was probably good. There was no alcohol sales still commencing. Because <laughs> uh, there probably would have been a lot more beer sold because a lot, there was a lot of people excited and I think a lot of people, me included, were in shock when we saw what happened on the on the Jumbotron. And my son actually asked me, he goes, what happens now? And I said, Miles Garrett probably just played his last game of the year. I think there was some alcoholic elation. And I think for the people that maybe that weren't as inebriated, complete and utter shock. And to the surprisingly, there weren't as many Steeler fans as there in our section as I've seen in the past. But from the Steelers fans that I saw, they, were, they weren't real loud. They were kind of quiet, just based upon the status of the game, too, right? I don't know if many people know this, and once we, I knew we were going to talk about this, 33 players got fined after that incident. Did you know I, that? I didn't uh-huh. know that either. That, I guess from players coming on the field and all this other stuff, it was, I could not believe that. I guess my last question about the incident, you kind of talked about a little bit with it with your son. What was his reaction? when it happened and what did he kind of say after the game? Do you think it took away from the game or do you think it just kind of added to the whole aura for him being at a a Browns game for his first time? I mean, to put it into context, he was 13 years old at the time and his first Browns game. And he's obviously grown up in my household to where we do watch the Browns and we watch the Indians and him being a sports kind of geek himself. His basic summation was, I just experienced history on my first Browns game. So I think he was more excited to be able to see that. And he still talks about it today to say, remember that time when we were there and Miles Garrett hit Mason, hit Mason Rudolph? I'm like, yeah, I remember that very well. <laughs> well, Mr. Cavey, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for bringing up a great story that you and your son experienced on November 14th, 2019. Where were you? Ken, episode 32 coming to a close. And I know we mentioned Rudy Giuliani during our misspeak of the week there with that <clears throat> possible flatulence. We also found out that he's tested positive for COVID. So serious note for a moment. We certainly hope that he's doing well and recovering from that. Absolutely. But farts are always funny. I don't know whether you're aware of that or yeah, not. It's, it's, it never gets old, to be honest with you. I don't care what age. It never gets old. My, my one son climbed into bed with my wife and I one night. You know, he was scared or whatever he climbs into bed and he toots right away and i said why do you always toot you toot an awful lot he looked at me and he said well i'm a fartist you might have a reality tv show at your house (laughs) with your children and the whole thing when we heard earlier in the show obviously playing the video game and I'm yep. telling you, Ted, you might, you might have a million-dollar script in, just in your house. I'm just yep. telling you that right now. 
Well, next week on the show, we're going to talk with author Will Blaine. Why is he interesting to us? Well, his books are called Wildly Inappropriate Stories for Children. And when I saw that title, I said, there's a guy we need to have on the show. He's been a resident for Columbus of Columbus, Ohio, for about the last 10 years. So we're going to talk to him about these wildly inappropriate stories for children. And maybe I'll share some of those with my kids, too. <laughs> I don't think you need to. You have plenty of your own, to be honest with you. you I write your own book. Well, uh, if I do share them, I wonder if my wife's reaction will be similar to that poor guy that had to take to sell the PS5 when he <laughs> th- thought it would try to tell his wife it was the air purifier. Uh, it's a good possibility. All right, Ken. Well, as we wrap up here, we want to wish all of our friends who celebrate Hanukkah a happy Hanukkah. That starts tomorrow, and hopefully they will have a as good of a celebration here in 2020 as possible. Absolutely. Obviously, it's probably a little bit different for them, just like uh, everyone else in their religion, but we hope they have a very festive time. And Ted, I just want to make sure we remind everyone that we're just two middle-aged men from Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV custom audio visual packages for all occasions.